Hi Church, our passage today comes from John chapter 13 verses 18 to 38, but we're going to start our reading a little bit earlier at verse 14. Here is today's reading. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas had took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charged the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival, or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is the word of the Lord. Hey everyone, I wish you all a happy Mother's Day. I especially just want to wish my mum a happy Mother's Day and my wife's mum, Alona, happy Mother's Day to you too. And I hope for all the mothers who are connecting with us online right now, that whether this day holds for you sorrow or joy, that you would walk away with a sense of God's boundless love for you. If we haven't met yet, my name's Ben. I'm part of the staff team here at Bray Park Community Church. And we're in the second week of our series called Untroubled Hearts. And we're taking some time to go through John's gospel, specifically chapters 13 to 16. And, and last week, we looked at the profound servanthood of Jesus. And this week, we come to a scene which is actually quite painful for Jesus. 
And it reminds me a lot of a movie that my wife, Mishan, and I watched last week called Ben is Back. It's a, it's a movie which stars Julia Roberts. She plays a mother called Holly and her troubled son, Ben. And Ben returns home from rehab unannounced this one Christmas. And the movie plays out with what happens and how Holly deals with that. And after I watched the movie, I just came away with a sense of Holly, the mother, her undying love for Ben. That no matter how messy he was, no matter how uh, unkind he was, no matter how deceptive he was, she just couldn't stop loving him. And you know, as imperfect as she was, she reminds me a lot of the love of Jesus. In this passage today, we're going to be looking at the painful love of Jesus. And you know, if you've ever felt like a Ben, if you've ever felt like you're too messy for God, uh, you're too broken, that He wouldn't be interested in you, uh, that you have to be clean and, and pristine for Him to be interested, to love you, then I really want you to listen into this because Jesus is going to be speaking right into those things. So we're going to open up this passage together and we're going to see that it comes to us in four chunks, four sections. The first one will see Jesus's identity. The second one will see Jesus's character. The third one will tell us about Jesus's command. And the fourth one tells us about Jesus's devotion. You don't need to memorize those, so that's kind of a roadmap for where we're going. So we're going to look first of all at the first section, which tells us about Jesus's identity. And the reason uh, I've titled that section Jesus's identity is because the first two verses are packed with references to his identity. Uh, John's gospel is actually packed full of Old Testament references. And in the first two verses, we see two of these references come up and they tell us a bit about who Jesus is. Let me read the first reference to you. Jesus says in verse 18, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. So here, Jesus is quoting from a psalm of David, specifically from Psalm 41, where David says, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. Now, David is not actually in that psalm talking about the Messiah explicitly. He's not talking about Jesus and saying he's going to have a friend betray him. He's actually just pouring out his heart. He's actually just personally telling God about how devastated he is about the betrayal of a friend. So in what sense can Jesus say that this passage of Scripture has been fulfilled in his life? Well, this also tells us something important about Jesus' identity. Because the reason Jesus can say this passage was fulfilled in my life is because Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater King the king that came from the line of David. And just as one of Israel's great kings of the past, David, just as he experienced suffering and betrayal, so too Jesus, God's Messiah, God's chosen one, experienced suffering and betrayal. You see, John has been working hard throughout this gospel to show that Jesus really was the Messiah that the Jewish people had hoped for. 
Jesus is the Messiah and he really does fit the expectations of the Old Testament. But then Jesus ramps up his identity claim to a whole new level. He goes on to say, verse 19, I'm telling you now before it happens, that is before Judas betrays him, I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. So what is Jesus getting at here? Is he saying, look, I'm predicting the future so that you really will know I'm the Messiah? Well, no, he's actually making an even bigger claim than that. He's actually claiming to be Yahweh, Israel's God. He's actually claiming to be God in the flesh. Let me explain to you why that is with a story about Mishan and I the other day. We were actually reading through the book of Isaiah recently. And um, let me read to you a couple of verses and then explain to you what she said, because it fits so well with what we're talking about here. Isaiah 44, verses 6 to 7. Here's what we read. It says, This is what the Lord, by the way, that's the word Yahweh. We translate that as Lord in our English Bibles. This is what the Lord, Yahweh, says. Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. And you know, Michelle and I were reflecting on what we read and she pointed back to these verses and she said she just loved the fact that God knew the future, that he knew everything that was to come. And he just kind of taunted. He said, you know, there's anyone out there who claims to be like me, who claims to be God. Okay, prove it by telling me the future. And that's exactly the point. Because only God can foretell the future. Only God knows what is to come. Kids, I want you to think about that for a moment. Remember how Caroline, just a couple of weeks back, she tried to read your mind. She tried really hard to read your mind and tell you what, she was, what you were thinking. But no matter how hard she tried, she couldn't actually tell you what you were thinking. And it's the same thing with talking about the future. No matter how hard we try, we are limited to this present moment. We cannot fully tell what is to come. But listen to this. Jesus told his disciples what was going to happen before it ever happened so that they might know he was God. He wanted them to know that he was the same God who said to Moses all those years ago, I am who I am. I'm telling you these things before they happen so that you might know that I am who I am. You see, Jesus is the Messiah. He's God's king. He's God's chosen one. Even though the Jews didn't expect their king to die on a Roman cross, John is at pains to tell them no, he really was, and he did accomplish a victory through that. That was part of his plan. And he's also God. He's also Yahweh. He's also so high above us. He knows all things. He is almighty. He is powerful. He's someone who is worthy of 
not just our trust and belief, but our worship. Now you might think, well, yeah, he, he deserves our worship. I can see that. But what kind of king is he? What kind of God is he? Is he just so much higher than us? He can't really relate to us. Is he just so lofty? Does he know all things that he just kind of floated through his earthly life and it was just easy for him and pain-free? Well, in the next section, we're actually going to get a look at Jesus' heart, his character, and we're going to get a look at his humanity as well. We're going to find out just what kind of king, what kind of God he really is. So our second section, we've just looked at Jesus' identity. We're now going to look at Jesus' character. But before we dive into the story, let me just give you a little bit of context. I want us to understand what this final private gathering looked like. I want us to get a sense of the intimacy and the closeness. And kids, you might remember Caroline touched on this last week, that Jesus and his disciples weren't sitting on chairs at a table. This wasn't a formal dinner. They were lying down while they were eating. Isn't that cool? They were lying down to eat. But be careful because now that I've told you that, mum and dad actually have a verse in the Bible to justify breakfast in bed. So I'm sorry for throwing you in the deep end there, but if you didn't do breakfast in bed for mum today, you might have to do it for her tomorrow. Anyway, Jesus and the disciples were doing what many people did in that time. It was called reclining. This is how it looked. And as you can see in that photo, everyone is actually leaning on their left arm. They would lean on their left elbow and they would use their right hand to eat. All their their feet would, would extend outwards from the table, just like that. It was an intimate setting. It was an informal setting. It was a relational setting. I want us to keep that picture in mind as we think about this moment for Jesus. Because we're going to delve a little deeper into that scene. I want you to imagine with me for a moment what that night would have been like. Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And when Jesus said those words, his disciples were shocked. They were looking around at one another thinking, really? One of us is going to betray you? Who who would do that to you? We've been with you for years. We're devoted to you. And Peter, one of the leaders of the group, wasn't sitting next to Jesus. So he motions at John, who's actually right by Jesus' side. And he motions at John to ask him to find out who Jesus is talking about. So John leans back to Jesus. Remember, he's on the right side of Jesus. So when the text says that he leans back against Jesus, he literally looks back at him and he, he's close enough to him to be able to have a private conversation, to whisper. And, and so he leans back and he says, Who is it, Lord? And Jesus whispers to him, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread once I've dipped it in the dish. And so Jesus took the piece of bread, he dipped it in the dish, and he gave it to the person lying right next to him. His betrayer was right next to him, Judas. I want us to think about that for a moment. 
Imagine what that would have been like to lie next to the very man you knew would sell you out. Can you imagine the kind of pain that Jesus felt? I mean, no wonder he was troubled when he told them about this. And I also want us to to know as well that when the host would grab a piece of bread and dip it and give it to one of the guests, that was actually an act of honor. And so on this night, this final evening with Judas the betrayer, Jesus shows one final act of affection. He looks into his eyes. He gives him the bread. And it's as if that final act of affection fully hardens his heart. Satan took over. And then Jesus says in the presence of everyone lying there, what you were about to do, do quickly. And so Judas gets up from the meal and he leaves. And no one else except for John and Jesus know exactly why. I mean, Judas had the the money bag. So they assumed that perhaps Jesus had told him to go off and buy some food for the festival or to give some money to the poor. Only John and Jesus knew that Judas had gone out in that moment to betray him. Only John shared really in the pain of that moment and in the love that Jesus showed to his betrayer. George Herbert wrote a poem about this moment, capturing the pain Jesus felt. He writes from Jesus' perspective. This is what he wrote. Mine own apostle who the bag did bear Though he had all I had, did not forbear to sell me also and to put me there was ever grief like mine. For 30 pence did he my death devise, who at 300 did the ointment prize. No, not half so sweet as my sweet sacrifice was ever grief like mine. You see, we not only get a glimpse into the character of Jesus in this moment, his total obedience to the plan that he and his father had made, his total commitment to walk the whole road to the cross so that he could die for people he loved. But we also get an insight into his heart, into his humanity, We get to see the the pain he experienced in betrayal. The pain of loving someone he knew would betray him. If we choose to love in this life, we will not be able to avoid pain. And mums, you may have a sense of what that feels like. What it feels like to be betrayed or what it feels like to be let down. In the movie, Ben is back. Holly, the mom, just couldn't walk away from her son. No matter how much he betrayed her, no matter how many times he deceived her, no matter whether he stole from her, whatever it was, she continued to love him. And it was both painful and beautiful to watch at the same time. And mums, if you resonate with that at all, I just want you to know that Jesus understands. He knows what it feels like to be betrayed. He knows what it feels like to to love those who do not return the love to you. He knows what it feels like to, to, to give 
and to comfort those who do not offer you comfort back, who do not, not even understand the amount of love you are showing towards them. Jesus understands. And if that's you, I want you to know that he's someone you can go to. He's someone you can relate with. He's someone you can lean on. He's someone you can speak to about that pain. Because Jesus is the epitome of unfailing, pain-enduring love. And the reason he says what he says next has everything to do with love. Moving into our third section, Jesus' command. And the reason Jesus issues this command we're about to look at is because it reflects his glory. Verse 31, when he, Judas, was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Let's pause for a moment. Isn't that an odd thing to say just after your friend has gone out to betray you? He's referring to himself, the Son of Man. Isn't that an odd thing to say? Wouldn't we expect Jesus to say, now I am glorified after he rose from the dead or after he ascended to the right hand of the Father and sat on the throne? But instead, just after Judas has gone out to betray him and set the the plan in motion for Jesus to go to the cross, Jesus says, now I am glorified. And the reason he says this is because faithful painful, committed love is at the very heart of God's glory. It is who He is. In the Old Testament, we read all about the steadfast love, the chesed of God, because He is a God of loyal, enduring, steadfast love. And it's no wonder that Jesus is a manifestation of that, because He is Yahweh in the flesh. And so when Judas goes out to put in motion Jesus' trial and execution, Jesus can say, now I am glorified. Now my love is being revealed to its full extent because now I'm about to go to the cross where I will reveal the excruciating depths of my love for sinners. And this love, which so characterized Jesus, is what he expects to characterize his followers. He says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. How do we know if someone has spent time with Jesus? How do we know if someone's been following closely to Jesus for a time? We will know by their love for fellow Christians. This is how the world should be able to pick us out. They should be able to tell us apart by the way we love our fellow believers. One of the early church leaders, Jerome, tells about how John, the the guy who wrote this gospel that we're in, he tells about how John in his old age never ceased to repeat, little children love one another. Little children love one another. One commentator said that the fact that this was John's most important counsel shows how deeply the precept had impressed itself upon the first generation of Christians. And my question is, how deeply has it gone into your heart? 
How deeply has that been impressed upon your heart? How often do you pray for your church, for for your fellow believers? What do you think about others in our church? You know, we've been apart for a little while now, so maybe you've got some pretty loving thoughts, but is there ever a person that that you just avoid or that you tend to judge or that you tend to think negatively about? Because John would tell you and me, little children, love one another. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. You see, God is calling us to radical love, to love one another, just as Jesus has loved us. And so I want to encourage you to take up that call. Refuse to to gossip about someone from church. Refuse to even dwell on negative thoughts about your brothers and sisters in church. If you ever find yourself in that moment, instead direct yourself to praying for them, to blessing them in Jesus' name. We are prone to, to judge and grudge against one another. And if you've never experienced that, if you've never struggled with that, then perhaps you've never really deeply moved into community enough. Because if you're on the outskirts, it's really easy to be polite and kind to people. But once you really commit yourself to others, once you get into things like a growth group, you rub shoulders with other sinners. And there are plenty of opportunities to take offense and get upset. But Jesus is calling us to love one another. Do you love your church? Do you love the people? Now, while we are commanded to love one another, Jesus doesn't say this because he wants us to show our devotion to him. He expects us to do this because he has showed his devotion toward us. We see this in the next section when Peter gets it all back to front. The final section, Jesus's devotion. Now, while Jesus was commanding his disciples to love one another, Peter's mind was elsewhere. He goes back to something Jesus had said earlier. And he says, Lord, wait a second, wait a second. Where are you going? And and Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter was eager to show his devotion to Jesus, but he severely underestimated how weak his devotion really was. And I don't know if you've ever come to a point where, where you've realized that your willpower, your devotion are not enough. Whether it comes to the Christian life or ideals that you've set for yourself or the type of parent you want to be, have you ever come to that point where, where you felt like, my willpower just isn't strong enough to fully live up to this? Maybe there are mothers watching right now who have experienced the crushing disappointment of feeling like they have failed as a mother. 
Maybe you're watching this and you wish that you could have been different. You, you would have loved to redo some of those years. You just weren't the mother that you wished you would have been. Well, I want you to know that the way Jesus responds to Peter here is the way he would respond to you. Because Jesus never expected us to be examples of undying love. That's why he came. He knows we are weak. He knows we are prone to fail. He knows we are sinners. He knew that Peter, his close friend, would deny him. And guess what he did with Peter? He didn't throw him out of the room. He didn't ignore him. He didn't give him the cold shoulder. He kept loving him. He kept loving him all the way to the cross. And you know, the Christian life begins with acknowledging the hard truth that we are actually more deeply flawed than we'd ever acknowledged, but that God is more deeply devoted to us than we ever dared to dream. 1 John 4 says, This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If you're a believer, you need to know that Jesus has absolutely devoted Himself to you despite your flaws. He didn't walk away from our mess. He walked toward it. He took it. He made it his own mess. He took it to the cross and he died in it. That's the kind of love he has demonstrated for his people. And the truth is, Jesus keeps loving us even when it's excruciating. Jesus keeps on loving us even when It is excruciating. Even when we betray him and deny him, Jesus loved the betrayer. Jesus loved the denier. Jesus loves failing followers and every single mother listening right now who thinks that they've failed as a parent. Jesus' love is at the very heart of his glory and his glory is revealed by his love for sinners. And that's really good news That's good news for you and for me. Man, I need to hear this myself. I find this so good for my soul to hear about Jesus' love for broken people. And Susanna Wesley, the mother of John Wesley, she once said, When I had forgotten God, yet I then found He had not forgotten me. Even then He did by His Spirit apply the merits of the great atonement to my soul by telling me that Christ died for me. The wonderfully good news is that Jesus devoted himself to saving sinners, even though they were so undevoted to him. This is where Christianity starts, and this is where Christianity is sustained. We will never be able to love one another like Jesus wants us to, unless we receive and keep receiving his love for us. And mothers, this this goes for you too. The gospel is what gives you the power to mother your children. At least that's what Gloria Furman says in her book, Labor with Hope. And I want to read to you from the book to finish. This is what she says to mothers. 
What is our driving hope when we struggle? Annual Mother's Day brunches? Seeing our kids off to good universities? A house full of future grandchildren? Day and night, why do we give ourselves away? Because of the gospel. This stunning portrait of the suffering servant shapes a Christ-centered perspective of our motherhood. Every theme of pain and suffering in this world gives way to a vision of our glorious Christ. Friend, every one of us suffers loss in various ways and is tempted to think we are the less for it. We blame God for our pain and throw away our confident faith instead of persevering by grace through faith. Where we have failed in our trials and groaned in our self-sacrifice for our kids, Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. In our calling as mums, we are willing to suffer these various losses with the hope of glory because this Jesus, the suffering servant, is the founder of the salvation we enjoy. Our willingness to sacrificially lay down our wants and needs for the sake of our children's good, when the world would insist that we crawl off the altar and refuse to lay our lives down, is our testimony of confidence in our powerful God to lead us through death to self and death itself into glory. What beautiful words. I'd love to pray for us. Lord, we just steal ourselves for a moment. And we just acknowledge your presence. And we just, we're in awe of you. You are amazing. You are the King of Kings. And yet you got down on your knees to, to wash our feet. And, and you endured in loving us, even when it was painful, even when you were betrayed and denied and abandoned, you kept loving us. And Lord, we just want to receive that love today. Lord, I want to pray for those friends who have joined us online who don't yet know you. May they open their hearts to receive your love to come to know the Savior, the King, who goes to excruciating deaths to love sinners. Lord, we pray that we as a church would grow deeper in this love. And Lord, please give us great love for one another. May we grow in it. May we care more and more about each other. May we be in each other's minds, in each other's prayers. Lord, have your way in this church. May we become more and more the community that you want us to be. Use us, Lord. And we pray for mothers today. We thank you for them. We pray that you would draw them near to yourself and that they would experience deeply, deeply your love for them. We love you, Jesus, because you first loved us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Let me uh, finish by just declaring this promise over you, which is from the second chapter of Second Thessalonians. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself 
and God our Father, who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen.